real quick. Happy, first, let me say this. Happy Father's Day to all the fathers in the house. And I would love for you guys, if you're a father in the house, would you please stand? Because I want to honor you today. If you're a father in the house, come on. Can we give it up for our dads in the room today? Come on. Praise God. We love you. And, and just as Pastor Bobby had said, we're so thankful for you leading your home and being a great example of God the Father today. And so we just honor you. And uh, I listen, I know this afternoon, everybody's going to probably be digging into some, some uh, maybe some steaks or something, uh, whatever it might be, and some good desserts. How many just love dessert? I don't know about you, but I'm looking forward to some good sugar today, right? And, uh, but hey, listen, I, I want to just kind of take a few moments and um, just kind of uh, set the pace for where, where we're headed today. And will you do this real quick? Would you grab your Bibles? Come on, would you hold them up? Come on, do this. You're going to hear it next week because Pastor Rusty Nelson will be here next week. And I, I'm probably going to repeat some things that he says because he was my mentor for so long. But say, I am what his word says I am. I can do what his word says I can do. I can be what his word says I can be. And today, I will hear his word. I will receive his word because I love his word. Amen. Turn with me real quick to Luke chapter 15, if you will. Luke chapter 15. And while you're turning there this morning, I'm going to give you a few Father's Day quotes that might help, help you understand what a father has to deal with. This quote says, I have mixed emotions when I receive my Father's Day gifts from my children. I'm glad my children remember me, but I sure am disappointed that they think I dress like that. Another quote says, you can tell what was the best year of a father's life because they seem to freeze that clothing style and just ride it out. Another quote says this, I gave my father $100 for Father's Day and I told him, I said, go buy yourself something that will make your life easier. So what did he do? He went out and bought a present for my mom. <laughs> Come on, dads, you know that's right, right? And then I love this one. This kid says, we see a McDonald's and we get so excited and we start chanting, McDonald's, McDonald's, McDonald's. And my dad pulls into the drive-thru and we all start cheering, yay, we made it. And then he pulls up and then he orders himself a black coffee just for himself and he just kept driving. <laughs> because that's what, you know, sometimes that's what I think is hilarious about dads that we're just one track mind. We have one track. We got a, I don't know about you, but when I go to, to, uh, to Walmart or to Target or places like that, I'm going not to shop. I'm going to get what I need to get, and I'm getting out of there. Any, any dads in the house know what I'm talking about? Because that's what we do. We, we, we're on a mission, right? We have this mission. We got to fulfill it, and we go after it, and then that's it. So when he hears McDonald's, all he thinks is black coffee, right? He's not thinking about anything else, just black coffee, get my black coffee, and I'm out of there. So I thought that was hilarious, but... I know all of us have different perspectives of a father. Uh, many of us in the room, and as, as Pastor Anthony was saying, uh, it can be a tough season for some in the room because their father never really was there. And sometimes that, that is a difficult time when we start celebrating Father's Day. Uh, it, it, it's all about perspective when it comes to fathers. For me, my father, who will be here second service, uh, he... He was, he was a great example of a father. He was a great, the one of the, some of, he, he was the greatest example of a loving and caring and, and, and always their father. But some have, their, their perspective of a dad is, is cold. 
it's, it's resistant, or maybe he's never there, and he never told them that he loved them. But it, and per, sometimes that perception affects how we see the fa- God the Father. And when we think of a father's love, we don't really understand what that looks like. And, and, and a lot of us have to deal with that, that resistance, and that, that perception of who a father really is. But you know what? There's so many different father stories. I know all of us in the room have some, and I'm going to tell you a couple of stories about my dad. Uh, many, many years ago, I, was, I loved baseball. That was my sport. Baseball was my sport. That was what I loved to do. And when I was about 13, I, I had the, the privilege to be on an all-star team, and I was a left fielder. I loved playing left field. And uh, we, went, we would travel. We'd go all over the place. And, and uh, uh, one, one particular game, I was, I was actually playing, and, and a ball was hit out to me. And somehow, some way. It, it got under my, my glove and it made it to the fence and I was beating myself up and I threw the ball back in and I just remember standing in the outfield. It's just like it was yesterday. You know, it's just, it feels like it was just the other day. I was standing in left field and I, I'm just beating myself up. And, and listen, the, the coach was really angry with me because we were trying to win the, the state championship. And in the middle of the game, he just pulls me out. I mean, I was the starting left fielder. He pulls me out and sticks somebody else out there. And I remember sitting on the bench just beating myself up over that. And, and my dad stayed quiet. He was always there at the games, and he was sitting up in the stands, and my dad never said anything about that particular moment until we got to dinner after the game. We all went, to, as a team, went to Burger King, I think it was, and we were sitting in the, the Burger King little dining area, and everybody's just diving into their food, and all of a sudden, I see my dad step up off the table and walk over to the coach and just tap him on the shoulder and say, hey, I need to see you outside. I'm like, oh, boy, what's about to happen? And so my dad just takes this, this, my head coach out to the, the parking lot, and I can see through the window, and my dad is giving it to him, Right? He is just giving it to him, letting him know, listen, this, you don't treat my son like this. Just because somebody makes a mistake, you don't just make a, a scene in the middle of the game. And when I saw that happen, what I saw from my father is my protector. He would go to bat for me. No matter what I was dealing with, he was always fighting for me. And I saw him as my protector. He was going to be my strength. He was always going to make sure that I was cared for in the midst of my, my, my problems and my struggles. He saw how it affected me. So what he, that, that was something that was, he, he became compassionate about. I'm not going to let this happen to my son. And so I saw him as my protector. saw him as my shield. And I love that. But then there was a story about my brother. And I could talk about my brother because my brother's not here. Uh, he's about seven years older than me. And uh, I'll never forget this story. He, uh, he was probably around 13, 14 years old. And I was, you know, seven seven years old, and my, my brother, as, as a typical teenager, you know, you just, at that age, I don't know what happens with, with kids. You guys know what I'm talking about. Like, when you get 13, 14 years old, you're just like, what is wrong with this kid? I mean, how did this thing shift so quickly? And this is like overnight, they start to say things and do things, and you're going, I, I don't even know what happened. So, well, that, that's what happened to my, my brother. He just started talking back to my dad, started saying things to my dad, and and he and my dad just started going after it one day, just going back and forth. And my, my brother was like, you know what? I'm done. I'm out of here. I'm done. It's over. Starts packing up all his little stuff, you know. My dad's like, well, where are you going to go? What are you going to do? How, how are you going to eat? He's like, I'm going to eat on berries and nuts. I don't know. 
And so he just packs his stuff up and he starts to walk out the back door and behind our houses with all these cotton fields. And, and I'm watching all this take place and I'm, I'm seeing my brother grab his stuff and walk out and he's like, I'm going to eat on berries, you know, which is mad. And I'm, I'm watching him go and I'm thinking, he's leaving. He's really going to leave. And I'm seven years old, right? And I'm watching my brother walk out the door and I'm watching my father the whole time as well. And he's just watching him go on. Just making his way on out the back door, out the backyard, towards the cotton fields. And I'm like, are you not going to go after him? Like, he's leaving. He said he's running away. You're not going to go after him? Just watching because my dad knew he won't get past the backyard very far because he realizes who feeds him, right? Who takes care of him. And so he makes it into the cotton field a little bit. And my dad wasn't concerned. Because he knew what would happen, he would come back. I want to tell you about a story in Luke chapter 15 of another father who watched his son leave. I'm going to give you a little context first before we read this passage in verse 11. The context of this passage is that it's not really about Jesus talking to the lost. He was talking to the Pharisees. He was actually confronting them in the midst of this this issue. Because what happens in Luke chapter 15, verse 1, it says this, tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. What was happening is that in they, they would be, he would be a drawing card to all these sinners and tax collectors and they would come after him and just want to sit at his feet and listen to him talk because he, honestly, he would sometimes defend them, it seemed, about what their, their lifestyle and some of the things that they were dealing with. But then what happened is the Pharisees got really angry. In verse 2 it says this, this made the Pharisees and teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. In other words, dining with them and, and spending time with them. So they got really agitated and aggravated because you just don't do that. You don't spend time with people like that. And so what he decides to do, Jesus says, well, he hears them complaining. And so what he decides to do is he's going to now start to share these different stories and these parables and he starts with the lost sheep and then he goes to the lost coin and then he finds himself at this on verse 11. And I'm going to break this down, but before I do, I'm going to break down the, the passage itself. But before I do, I want us to bow our heads and I want us to pray. And I want to ask Holy Spirit to reveal the truth of his word today. Amen? Would you bow your heads? Father, I just thank you for the opportunity to share God's word today. And I pray, Father, that as, as many times we come and as, as preachers, as pastors, we, we want to share information. But God, I pray that today this is an impartation of your love and the impartation of your word into the lives of so many. But I pray hearts are ready to receive. God, we want our heart to receive what you have. And Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. You are welcome in this place. Holy Spirit, welcome in our life to speak the truth of your word to us and make it come alive to us today in the name of Jesus. And everyone said, amen. Verse 11, it says this. To illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story. He says, a man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. And I'm going to stop right there. You see, one, one thing that's interesting about this 
few verses is that the younger son asking for the estate and his inheritance before his father dies was basically looking at his dad saying, you're dead to me. He's looking at his father and he's saying, you know what, I don't really care about what you provide for me in this environment. I think you're better off in my life if you were dead because I would rather have what's in your hand than have your heart. I want, to, I want what you are able to give me rather than who you can be for me. And see, what happens a lot of times in our lives is, as, as believers, as Christians, if we're not careful, we tend to fo- focus on what God can give us rather than who can he can be for us. We want to seek after his hand and all the things that he can give us rather than actually allowing him to discipline our life and become a son and a daughter of God. You see, what requires us as, as disciples is to have discipline in our life. And, and, and sitting in a, in a family of God and sitting under the leadership of the Father, he's going to discipline some things in your life. I don't know about you, who in here likes discipline, right? Nobody really likes to be disciplined. I mean, look at my body. I, I don't like the gym. I mean, I don't look forward to going to the gym because that hurts. So I just don't go. Right? That's discipline. When, when we, we, we don't like it when we have to discipline ourselves with food. I can't eat this or I can't eat that. Nobody wants to do that. And see, so when, we're, when we're walking as, as a believer, many times the Lord wants to start to deal with things in our life and it requires discipline on our part. But what we want to do is that we don't want that. We just want the freedom he gives us. Come on, somebody. We just want the freedom. But the Bible says clearly in this, in, in, let me find it real quick. Galatians. I think it's Galatians. Well, it's not in my notes. I know I put it there. It's disappeared. Anyway, he says, he says I think it's in Galatians 5. He says that, we, don't, we shouldn't use our freedom for selfish gain. We use our freedom to serve others. We use our freedom not for ourselves, but for other people. And the, the bottom line is, is that when we're walking in discipline of the Lord, he's going to teach us what it is to, to live that life to discipline and to serve others. And it's making an investment into other people, right? It's about investing. It's not about holding on to something for yourself. You see... We want what's in the hand of the Father rather than the heart of the Father. You see, David was a man after God's own heart. He wasn't a man after God's own hand. (laughs) Let me say that again. David was a man after God's own heart. He wasn't seeking to be the next king. The Father found him seeking after him, and he said, I found a man after my own heart. You see, David was a kid, but what did God see him as? As a man. He saw him as someone mature. So what did he do? He went after him. The father went after him. And I love it because even after he was anointed king, what did he do? He went right back out to the fields because he wasn't looking to try to get what the father has in his hand. He just wanted his heart. And so as believers, church, let me tell you, we need to be seeking the heart of God, not the hand of God. Amen? Then verse 13. A few days later, this younger son then packed all of his belongings and moved to a distant land. And there he wasted all of his money on wild living. About this time, his money ran out and a great famine swept 
over the land. And he, he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into the fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. I want to stop right there. You see, the gifts that are given to us by the Father, we can't use for selfish gain and selfish desires. But we use those things to advance God's kingdom. When God gives us his inheritance, he gives us the things that we need to live life. It's not about going and squandering it. You see, he, what he did is he went out after he had gotten what he could get from the Father. He then packed it all up and saw, thought, I'm going to go to a distant place. Because I don't want to be in this discipline. You see, what happens a lot of times is when there's, when there's things going on in the family that require us to be disciplined. What we tend to do is we want to get as far away from it as possible because we think we can run from our problems. We think we can get away from our issues because if I can get out from under this, the, these, these rules or these laws, we, we, we think if we can get away from it, then it won't follow us. But the truth is it always follows you. And what he found himself doing is he's, he's squandering this wealth. He's squandering this inheritance and, and Gentile living and selfish living and doing what he wants to do. And, and everything's great for the moment. But then there's always something that leads to a famine, and it's called selfishness. Selfishness leads to famine. I'm going to say that again. Being selfish will lead to a famine. And what I'm talking about is when you start to live this way and you're not making the investment back into the kingdom, kingdom and back into other things, back into the word, by, by actually depositing some God's word into your life. When it's time to make a withdrawal because you've used it all for selfish living, there's nothing to draw from. And where he found himself is that he had spent it all and now he's looking for a withdrawal and there's nothing there. It's because he used it all on selfish living. And if we learn what it is to live a disciplined life and walk according to God's plans and his precepts, what happens is God continues to pour out his blessings over and over in our life. And guess what? When it's time for withdrawal, we have it there to withdraw. Hear me. But when you're living in a life of selfishness, it leads to a famine. There's nothing to draw from. There's nothing to gain. And we see, we live in a very selfish society. It's hard to come out of this concept of just, it's all about me. What's in it for me? What can I get out of it? How can I get out of this? The things that I want. And it's hard to break that mindset. And sadly, let me just say this. Many times in the church, what we're doing in the church is we try to make everything about you when it's all about God. We need to get our minds off of ourselves and realize this whole thing is about him. And what he's done for us and my worship. And what we sang about today, just giving our lives to him and worshiping him and living a life of sacrifice. That's the example that Jesus set in pace for us. Live a life of sacrifice. It's not about you. You've been bought with a price. You've been purchased by the blood of Jesus, people. We don't live for ourselves. We live for him. So we have to put aside the selfishness and realize we've been purchased by the blood of Jesus. Anybody with me this morning? Take what the Father gives and invest it and steward it well. Steward it well. Invest it. 
And there's that scripture. It just pops up. Galatians 5. Anyway. The other thing selfish, I'm sorry. Selfish desires do this too. Selfish desires lead to shame. Selfish desires lead to shame. Great example. Adam and Eve in the garden. Their disobedience of what the father told them not to do. They were not disciplined enough and they wanted something they couldn't have. So selfishly, they went after something the Lord told them not to take. And what happened? Sin crept in, but also what else? Shame crept in. And it's hard to overcome shame. When you've been shamed, it's almost like I, 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 I don't want anyone to see me anymore. The enemy wants to see you shamed so that he can pull you away from other people and hide you in a place where he can start to tell you these lies about who you are. You see, shame will cause you to avoid relationships. Shame will cause you to have a lack of vulnerability and being open in a community. If the enemy can just get you isolated, he can get you controlled. This is what happens when you start to live in a selfish lifestyle. You start to be shamed. Because shame causes you to feel worthless and depressed and anxious. But how many are thankful that Jesus took our shame at the cross? And we don't have to live under that, that horrible, depressed state of shame. We have been set free by the blood of Jesus. Anybody believe that today and thankful for that? I'm going to go on. Verse 17. And when finally the son, when finally he came to his senses... He said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare. And here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you. And I am no longer worthy of being called your son. So please take me on as a hired servant. He came to his senses. He came to a place of repentance. And when he came to his senses, he came to an understanding of what the Father really provided for him. You see, I don't know about you, but raising, raising children can be difficult sometimes. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And I'm not talking about just these littles. Yeah, with the little ones, you just put a diaper on them and say, go, right? And let them just ransack the house. But when they get older and they start to give their own thought processes, you know, I can think for my two-year-old and tell them, you know, I remember my, my, my oldest daughter, our first child. How many remember, remember VCR tapes? We had a VCR tape right on the television, and she would go over to that VCR tape, and she would look at me, I mean, just with that look, like, what are you going to do? And she would stick her finger towards that VCR and, you know, that little door would open up. You know what I'm talking about? She would try to stick her finger in that door. I'd I, I pull her hand back and say, no, you can't do that. And then she'd just look at me. And then she'd go right back, try to put her finger in that little. You can't do that. So then it's like, slap that hand. You can't do that. And then she'd look at you. Slap it a little hard. You cannot touch that, right? See, those little ones, you, you can tell them, this is how you've got to think. But when they start to get older, 
They start to think on their own. And then you're like, will you please come to your senses? And, but but as, a, as, a, as a parent, as a father, as a mom, sometimes you got to just let them learn on their own. I'm not saying you abandon them. You're always there. But there comes a point in that journey that they have to journey for themselves and realize, you know, the things that my mom and my dad had taught me when I was younger really have some valid, uh, validity. It's validated, but they have to come to that senses, the sense of that on their own because if they don't, then guess what? They're going to constantly be controlled by your, your direction rather than God's direction. So they come to their senses, and he came to his senses. And coming to his senses, he realized what the Father had done for him. And what I love about this is that he wanted to go back to whatever caused him to want to leave, whether it was selfishness, whether it was discipline, or whatever that was, he wanted to go back because he knew his father loved him. And he knew the atmosphere. Even the, even the servants got taken care of. Better than me, I'm in a pigsty. I'm so far away from a family. I'm stuck out here by myself. And they come to this realization, I want the atmosphere my father can provide for me. And he's wanting us to understand this, that at the atmosphere that a father sets, you see, fathers set the pace in the home. Fathers set the pace. They set the, they set the, the standards in the home. If, if a father is angry all the time, guess what? The family is going to replicate that and probably angry. If a father is loving, guess what? The family starts to replicate the love of a father. And so what he was seeing as a prodigal, he's stuck in this pigsty. And he says, I want to go home because I remember this. My father, see, he, he took his mind off of his, his, his problems and he put it on the father. He took his eyes off of the issues and he put it on the father. You see, many times we want to, we want to get caught up in our, our, our issues. and We want to get caught up in what that is all dealing with. And the Father's telling us, hey, listen, just get your eyes off of those things. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all that other stuff will be taken care of. Set your eyes on me. Lift up your heads, O ye gates. Be lifted up, ye everlasting doors. Let the king of glory come. Set your eyes on him. So he returned to his father and his son. His son said to him, Father, I have sinned against you. And then it says this in verse, let me see where we are, verse 20. So verse 20, he says, he returned home to his father, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. <laughs> Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you. I am no longer worthy of being called your son. He saw him, church. He saw him as he was a long way off. And when he saw him, he's, let me tell you something. He sees where you are. 
He's not left you nor forsaken you. He sees where you are in your problems, in your circumstances, in your issues. He knows what you're dealing with, and he sees you. Even though you may be a long way off, he's not lost you yet. He's, he sees you out there, and he's like, I know he's coming. What I love about that is that the, the father was always looking. He was always looking for his son to come home. This, who knows? This could have been years. Years and years, but the father was just looking and thinking, he's coming home. I know he is. And when he saw him a far way off, it says that he ran to him. <laughs> he ran to him. Why did he run to his son? Why did he run? So I started to look into this a little bit. You see, according to Jewish tradition, there was, a, there was a ceremony, actually in the Talmud, it was a Jewish law and a custom for those who had wasted their inheritance on wild living. If they chose to come back home, there had to be this ceremony that took place. They would have to face a ceremony of shame, if you will, by the townspeople. It wasn't just of the family. People in the town knew this person wasted their inheritance and went and used it on Gentile and selfish living. So if they choose to come back, there was a ceremony called Kizaza. Everybody say Kizaza. Kizaza. And in this ceremony, what they would do is they would grab these clay pots before they entered the city. They would grab these clay pots, similar to this, if you would throw that picture. Grab these clay pots, and they would fill those clay pots full of burnt grain and burnt peas and beans, and it had this horrible, pungent smell to it. And they would take these pots, and as the son, or who, he would come back into the city, before he made it back into the city, they would take these pots and they would throw it at his feet, and they would say, you're cut off from the family. You're cut off from anything in this city. We don't want you here. And what they would do, they'd break these vessels, these clay pots at his feet. And what would happen is that pungent, horrible smell would come back up into the nostrils of this prodigal. And he would be reminded of the shame and all the guilt and all the things that he had done. Leaving his father and all the, reminded of all the journey that he had taken all the sins that he had committed. And they would throw that at his feet to say, you're cut off. We don't want you here. But the father saw him. And the father thought, I'm going to run after him because I don't want him to have to face the shame of the kazaza. I don't want them to face that shame of breaking those pots and having to walk over those broken pieces and, and all those things. So I'm going to go after him. I'm going to run. I'm going to run, and I'm going to do this because, listen, here's the other thing about the running of the father. The father ran, and it was said this. And years ago, this was part of it. It was in the Middle Eastern culture in that day. Old men did not run. It was undignified. You just don't run. Old men just don't run. It was undignified. Somewhat shameful. Even Aristotle said this, great men never run in public. Right? That's why I don't run. Anyway, anyway, but what he did is he took on the shame 
of his son's sin and said, I will take the shame. Not my son, even though he wanted me dead. I'm going to choose to take the shame. And he said, I'm coming after him. And he takes off running for his son. I can imagine what the son was thinking. I'm going to have to face this, this shame. But in the distance, he starts to see his father running after him. And I'm, I'm thinking, maybe, maybe he's going to run and start punching me in the face, right? But what did he do? He ran after him and he embraced him. He showed his love and compassion. And then it says this. He told him, he said, quick. He told his servants, quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Who would have had the finest robe? The father. It was his robe. He said, go get it. Bring it. And I want you to place that on him. Then I want you to do this. Get a ring. Put on his finger. In other words, to say, hey, you're still part of this family. You're still a part. Then he said, I want to put sandals on his feet. I want, I want to make sure that he's fit. Because, see, he's no longer a slave anymore. He's a son. He's my son. And so when he ran after him, he said, I want to embrace him. He said, now we're going to, we're going to kill the fatted calf. We're going to feast. We're not going to mourn. We're not going to have a ceremony of shame. We're going to have a ceremony of joy and freedom and happiness because my son, who was once dead, has now come alive. I love him. I'm going to embrace him, and I'm going to take him home. One thing we have to understand is the Bible tells us that Jesus did only what the Father told him to do. And matter of fact, Jesus came to represent the Father. And so he came to redeem us. He came to restore us. So when Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except by me, what that's saying is if Christ is pointing us to the Father, and in John 14, Jesus said, I am the Father, and the Father's in me, and the Father's in me, does the work through me, then it's safe to say that the reason Jesus came was to represent the love and the compassion and the heart of the Father. So number one, Jesus came to redeem. The Father sent Jesus to redeem you from your sin. And listen, you can't be redeemed without a redeemer. It can't happen. There has to be someone who chooses to take your place. So some believe that we can make things better out of our own accord. We can do things on our own. We can try to redeem ourselves on the sins that we committed by trying to do things out of good behavior. And that's going to get us to heaven. And that's going to take care of our problems. I'm telling you, you can't be redeemed without a redeemer. Someone who would take your place for the debt that was of sin, of debt that was committed in the garden. 
Not only does he redeem, the scripture says, but he says he crowns us and he surrounds us with his love and his mercy. You see, when the prodigal came home, the father was saying, I'm going to surround you with my love and my mercy. I'm going to give you my garments. I'm going to give you my clothing. I'm going to clothe you from the shame and the guilt of your sin. Redemption, redemption goes beyond just a rescue to a renew. Just because you've been rescued, see, Jesus wants to renew you. He wants to make you a brand new creation. Colossians 3.13 says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it's written, cursed, I'm sorry, Galatians 3, cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole. Ephesians 1.7 says, he is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. The second thing the father sent Jesus to do was to restore. Jesus came to restore. Father God is relational. As we take a look at the garden, you understand God created man in his own image. He created man to want to be in a relationship with them. And there was sin that had separated mankind. And so the father made a way. He said, I want to re restore this relationship I once had with mankind. And I'm going to send my son to restore it. That's why Jesus came. He wants to restore the relationship that he once had with his children. 2 Corinthians 5.18 says, And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. Number three, the Father sent Jesus to reveal a Father's love. The Father sent his Son to reveal the true meaning of the love of a father. For God so loved the world, he loved you, that he sent his only son. 1 John 4, 9 and 10 says, God showed how much he loved us by sending his son and only son into the world so that he might have eternal life through him. This is real love not that we loved God I love it because this is love that he loves us not that we loved God but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away the sins of our life I want us to be reminded if, any, if anything today the father is extravagantly in love with you he sees you for the joy that was set before him, despising the shame, despising the shame, he endured the cross for the joy. You were the joy. You were the joy that was set before him. Despising the shame, he took the shame. I'll do it. I'll take that. And I will endure the cross because I know my love for my children. You see, the story of the prodigals, the father was filled with love and compassion. 
love and compassion. He was compassionate. Lamentations 3, 21 says, But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They're new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I put hope in him. The steadfast love, the constant love of the Lord never see. It don't matter where you are. It don't matter what you're dealing with. It don't matter what you've done. What you need to know today is the steadfast love of our Father never ceases. And his mercy never comes to an end. And the last thing is this. The Father sent Jesus to forgive. You see in the story, the story's about forgiveness. Many times we, we want to talk about the story of the prodigal and prodigals coming home. But this story is more about the father and the father's forgiveness for his son. You see, when, when Jesus was hanging on the cross, the words that he spoke were not temporal. Those words were not just for that moment. You see, the words he speaks are eternal. They continue to go with time. And so when, the, when Jesus was hanging on the cross and he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do, wasn't just for the Roman soldier. It was for you. Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. You may be a prodigal here today and you have no idea how you got there. You have no idea how you ended up in the state that you're in. But the Father wants you to know forgiveness is there for you. Here's the key. The way you obtain forgiveness is through repentance. That's the only way. You have to come to your senses. Come to that place where you realize the Father's love never ceases and His mercies never come to an end. Come to that place where you see your sin and choose to go after the Father and pursue Him. There has to be a turning. That's what repentance, repentance is. is a turning around and pursuing the Father. I'm going to turn away from this lifestyle and I'm going to go after him. So you may be here today and say, I don't know how I got here. It's easy. Repentance is just coming back to the Father. Would you bow your heads this morning? If you're here today and you're finding your in this place of needing to repent. You say, okay, I, I see where I am and I want to come back to my Father. I want to come back to that place 
I know his forgiveness is there and I choose today to repent. You see, we've all sinned. We've fallen short of the glory of God. Everyone in this room have sinned. And the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life. Here's the thing. Would you receive the gift that God gives? Will you choose to say, I choose the Father. And I choose the gift that he's given me. And that is eternal life. That is forgiveness. That is, that is freedom. You see, God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were yet sinners. But if you will declare with your mouth and believe it in your heart, the Bible says that you'll be saved. So right now, I just want you to just ask yourself, God, what, where's the sin in my life? Would you, would you start to deal with me about this area of my life? I choose you today. And I want to repent of all the things in my life. And I know when you say I'm repenting of the sin in my life and I choose to come back to the Father, guess what? The Father is running after you. So if you're here today and you're saying, yes, I choose to come back. I choose to come back to the Lord today. Would you just, I want to pray for you. I don't want to embarrass you, but I do want you to just slip up your hand to come into agreement with what God is saying to you right now and that your heart is just beating right now so fast. And you're saying, yeah, I got to come back. I choose to come back. If that's you, would you just slip your hand? Come on, just slip it up. I just want to pray. Yes, anyone else? I want to come back to the Father. I choose to repent. I, I choose to ask God to forgive me of my sins. Anyone in the room say, I choose the Father. Father, this hand that has gone up, I just pray, Father, that you would wrap your loving arms around this person, that you would be there with them and you would comfort them and strengthen them. Let them know, God, that they are loved today. And Father, I just thank you that you came after us that your love for us was a true Father's love and that you're embracing us even now in the midst of our problems and despair. But I pray, Father, as those who have heard this word and want to repent, I pray, Father, repentance would come their way. They choose today whom they will serve. Can we all just repeat this prayer? Say, Lord Jesus, I repent of my sins. I lay down my selfish ways and I choose you today would you come into my life would you forgive me of my sins I believe you sent your son Jesus to die on the cross for my sin and you rose on the third day to bring me eternal life I receive you today in Jesus name